0: Good morning everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host Michael Fagan here on the Nachum Siegel Network, nachumsiegel.com, and on the NSN app. If you don't have it, get it. And this is Political Primetime, folks. Every single night we have the Democratic Convention coming to us from around the country. Uh, I'm a little bit thankful there's no live convention right now. This is seemed to be a uh, a fully scripted, fully video immersed, a kind of 2020 uh, technologically advanced convention. Uh, speeches are much, much shorter, lots of video. I can't say I'm watching wall to wall coverage, but yes, there are fewer opportunities for some up and coming politicians and elected officials from around the country to showcase themselves. Remember, Barack Obama got his big start uh, back in the 2004 uh, Democratic Convention, propelled him to the presidency in 2008, and others have, a- along the way, given those big speeches, you know, think Mario Cuomo, who became uh, the Democrat that never ran, if you will, and um, but was always wanted by many Democrats because of his soaring oratory, and um, you know a couple of interesting tidbits from from this. I think the videos have been having been pretty much good, and the, the good news is that you can just kind of watch them afterwards. You don't have to be tied. You know, kind of is like a little bit of the on-demand convention. If you don't wanna, if you don't wanna immerse yourself in all the stuff, and there's plus there's, there's no drama. There's really nothing going on. I mean, we don't see anything along the likes. I mean, there are you know some sideshows, and particularly us who are interested in Israel and some other issues. Um, I think that uh, I think that we have some interesting tension within the party that we can see. Um, you know, some of those more progressive voices that tend to kind of loom large or larger. If you will, in our consciousness uh, that we think about, particularly as New Yorkers, meaning uh, specifically AOC, who got a one minute uh, speaking spot. I think she made the most of it. Um, And some of the more progressive voices, particularly um, on issues like the Middle East and Israel, uh, you're not getting, certainly not getting that from this convention. You're not getting that. Tension within the party on some of these big issues, foreign policy issues, healthcare issues, the economy issues. Um, whatever differences Democrats are having right now amongst themselves are pretty much, from my perspective, being papered over in support of the feeling that they need to have the unity that they didn't have in 2016. And I just to think back for a second, the enmity between the Sanders camp and the Clinton camp was on display in full view in the Democratic Convention in 2016. Uh, There's no question the Sanders people thought that they had had that the fix was in. And you don't get that here in 2020. Uh, Bernie Sanders certainly gave uh, as much support as probably he's able to do for anybody because not really known as the team player. Uh, but certainly gave some gave us support, and all the candidates that seem to be supporting the Biden Harris ticket, which of course is going to be interesting for Republicans um, to try and kind of take back the center, if you will, uh, and grab some of those voters that Donald Trump did in 2016 who have drifted away, and we've seen them drift away in the midterms in 2018. And that is going to certainly be for next week for the Republican convention. Which, uh not really sure about the choreography because a lot of us don't really know. The Republicans had a lot less time to plan this. Uh, not really sure about the choreography and how that is going to go. We don't have that information yet. But I'm sure, like all Trump productions, it will be very entertaining. The president is going to be speaking from the White House. Uh, political convention unconventional choice to do that interesting choice to do that personally, I don't really care I'm not necessarily uh, I'm not gonna get ratcheted up about the idea that the President of the United States is using the White House for political purposes. I think that happens every day. That's the advantage of incumbency. You can do stuff at the White House all the time. Would I prefer that the convention kind of not be there? But this is where we are. I mean, this is, you know, we don't want people to travel as we want them to do it as little as possible. So this is, you know, how it's going to be. Um, Just back to the Democrats for a second and how, They're definitely looking for moderation. And I think that's a lot of what you've heard about Biden, Harris, and them being from the more moderate wing of the party. Certainly Biden, and that's his background. Harris probably a little bit less so, but certainly moving that way. And no scene, no daylight between the two of them. And the Democratic platform has... Taken out any mention of occupation of Israel. The Democratic platform is, uh, yes, not, is not certainly taking a stance against annexation, but annexation is now off the table, at least publicly. And we'll get to that in a second. And some of the absurdities of the left on this issue. And the Democratic platform is definitely full-throated in its support of Israel and against boycotts. And yes, no question that we can see here in New York this growing alienation of the left from Israel and pro-Israel policies. is Part of that might be deep-seated. Part of that is going to be Um, this intersectionality that we have with regard to the left and how they view Israel. Part of that is, I think, rooted in some anti-Semitism and othering of Jews and seeing Jewish people, even more minority orthodox identifiable Jews as white oppressors. And uh, part of that is probably that Israel is being seen as a more partisan issue. Being pro-Israel or pro-Israeli government is, is seen kind of as being pro-Republican, pro-BB. And that's, you know, a lot of the terminology that is used out there. And there are Democrats who are fighting back against that perception. They're doing that at the convention and some of these side virtual events, which, of course, are very interesting. Uh, you know, I. I think that we have to also take it in context that there is a wide, while we do read about the time, while we do read about, particularly, you know, in primaries, primary in Missouri, where a pro BDS challenger won, won the primary, of course, Ilhan Omar won in Minnesota last week, and... AOC won her primary. And Rashida Tlaib won her primary. But these are not necessarily the mainstream voices of the Democratic Party. And I can say this is a Republican. Uh, At least I believe. I don't know that these are mainstream everywhere. There are plenty of members of Congress aside from the squad. Uh, I think that, you know, Ted Deutsch, former, um, sorry, Ted Deutsch, congressman from Florida, basically said there's an enormous amount of tension. He said this uh, in a forum. There's an enormous amount of tension paid to a very tiny percentage of Democrats in the House and even in the freshman class. What I would suggest to those of us who care deeply about the strength of U.S.-Israel relationship is to look at the vast majority of not just Democratic Party, but these freshmen in particular, under a pro-Israel platform in the Biden administration is committed to strengthening U.S.-Israel relationship and enhancing American diplomacy around the world, those members will have an even greater opportunity to help feed and usher in this new generation of wonderful pro-Israel leadership in the House. And, you know, that's true that there is a large group elected two years ago of more moderate Democrats in the House, or not more moderate, moderate Democrats in the House, now, yes, they vote together, and yes, you want to make the case that Democrats overall, uh, from my perspective, are less reliable uh, when it comes to Israel's security. I do I do feel that way, but at the same time, I don't want to cast people out of the tent, particularly because of the sins of radicals like Ilan Omar and Rashida Tlaib. Just don't. And And Max Rose of New York— Running in a tough uh, general election race, one of the one of the few—I'm um, sorry, one of the most competitive. I don't mean one of the few competitive ones. These are there are quite a few, but he did say that I'm so tired of my colleagues saying that. Oh my God, the president did this, so let's oppose it. There's so much that this administration does that we can oppose. That we should oppose, but let's not make this one of the issues that are fighting tooth and nail with a blind spot partnership. It's just wrong. It does not help Israel. Meaning that if every Democrat sees every issue through the pro-Trump lens, that if Trump does it, and it's good for Israel. We have to automatically oppose it. That's the kind of thing that essentially pisses him off. Part of my language there, and it's true, and it should. It, it's it's kind of ridiculous at this point that we have that situation, that if we're look at the deal with the United Arab Emirates, historic, a breakthrough. I mean beyond the breakthrough. just incredible the idea that this came about um, and that this could be the catalyst for multiple for several, Arab nations to basically say, to, to set aside the idea that Israel must have this peace treaty, which Palestinians may never come to the table on, with the Palestinians and solve that issue before they can ever have ties with another Arab country. Egypt and Jordan, obviously notwithstanding, Uh, But this is a non-border state. This is a state that wants to have, for a number of geopolitical reasons, wants to have a relationship with Israel. And yet, at the same time, you have those out there who want to go ahead and continue to boycott Israel. You have an Arab state, a major Arab state. The Emiratis are a powerhouse. And they are saying, okay, enough. Let's put this aside. It's time to normalize relations with the Jewish state. And you have the crazy radical left, the DSA, Asking basically in the same week, asking their in their candidate questionnaire, sending out a survey, do you pledge not to travel to Israel if elected to city council in solidarity with Palestinians living under occupation? Even though foreign policy and they acknowledge this, this is it within the questionnaire. Even though foreign policy falls outside the purview of municipal government, gestures like travel to a country by elected officials from a city the size and prominence of New York still send a powerful message, as would refusal to participate in them. It's, uh, It's quite incredible when you think about it, that someone would think that this is an appropriate question for running for somebody running for local office in New York. Number one, the New York City Council has no say whatsoever in any foreign policy issue. Um, but the idea that Israel being a homeland for the Jewish people, Israel being a cradle of monotheism... Israel having immense historical and geopolitical importance around the world, that it would be inappropriate for anybody to, for a elected official to not go there. And this being the only country around the world that Israel shouldn't go to. Forget about repressive regimes like Syria, Iran, Equatorial Guinea. Russia, Belarus. I'm just picking out places there that restrict China, that restrict freedom of speech, freedom of association, that monitor North Korea. You can go to North Korea, but you can't go to Israel. Think of the message don't go to Israel, but you can go to North Korea if they let you in, of course. Cuba. You can go to Cuba you can't go to Israel or you shouldn't go to Israel and if you do go to Israel you're not part of our movement don't travel to Israel the one country one country on the list it's the only country they asked about don't go to Israel the amazing thing is the United Arab Emirates at the same in the same week is making peace with Israel they are basically saying forget about this right I mean, there's a saying you know, be more Catholic than the Pope and I hope I'm not offending any of my Catholic friends out there. I'm not sure if it's an appropriate thing to say, but that's essentially what they're saying: is Oh, okay. Well, you know, the Arab neighbors of Israel they can make they can make peace, but you can't travel there. We're not going to travel there because we're New Yorkers and we're going to be more radical and progressive, and we're going to be more anti-Israel. It's astounding. It's astounding that somebody cooked this up and thought it would be a good idea. Thankfully, thankfully, there have been quite a few Democratic elected officials who have turned around and said, I mean, and Mark Levine, you know, progressive, very progressive council member from Manhattan, from Manhattan chair of the Jewish caucus, he said it very straightly. This is contrary to the goal of reconciliation, mutual understanding, and promoting connections between peoples. We need more exchange of ideas, more exchange of culture, and learning amongst elected leaders and regular people. And to ban travels contrary to that goal of openness, so this is really indefensible on so many levels. That's the amazing part: is even if you were a thinking, okay, this might be remotely an, a, a normal idea to say, we oppose Israel. And do you oppose Israel and its policies against the Palestinians? And that would have, could potentially have been a question, even though it doesn't make any sense from a city council perspective, but the idea of banning travel. And of course, so there were dozens of state lawmakers in the assembly and others who have openly called this anti-Semitic. And the letter from the New York State Assembly said, no political organization that abandons anti-Semitism into its platform should be welcome in the halls of our legislature. The DSA's position cannot be rationalized. It is offensive, anti-Semitic, and dangerous, particularly at a time when anti-Semitism is on the rise in the New York area. So the amazing part is the DSA obviously has been giddy with regard to their Democratic primary victories. And they are thinking to themselves, okay, we're going to capitalize this on our full agenda. And they went ahead and they did this ridiculous thing, which was openly anti-Semitic. And again, you're saying that it's okay to travel to North Korea, but not Israel, because it, you're singling out one state. It's the same thing as singling out Jews amongst all other people. There's no other explanation. Yes, you know, uh, Ross Barkin and some of these other people out there try and rationalize it because of, uh, well, the Israel gets the most aid and this, that nah, we can all, we can go ahead and rationalize that and say, no problem. And Palestinians living under military occupation and siege. Well, what about in Xinjiang in China with Muslims being put into concentration camps? Millions of them. Nobody's saying don't go to China. So it's, uh, it's, it's remarkable. It's remarkable the political malpractice here from my perspective of, of doing this. And basically, and even Mayor Bill de Blasio, a progressive, condemned this. He said it just doesn't make sense. He didn't say it was anti-Semitic. You can dislike the Israeli government at this moment of specific policies, but to suggest people shouldn't visit there, I think it's wrong. To support the BDS movement is wrong. That would rob Israel of its economic ability to allow for people to have a livelihood. Okay, nicely said, Mayor. Not as good, as I think, as many New Yorkers, many of your constituents would want but i think that this comes down to the fact that the left and the dsa and the palestinians for that matter want this perpetual conflict they 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 for for they're not interested in this peace and reconciliation you don't see them applauding the idea that the united arab emirates is going to make peace with israel and i can't help but think back as you know think about the genesis of this I got to imagine, and this is just my theory, that a couple months ago, the Palestinian Authority refused to take a plane load of medical supplies from the UAE to help fight coronavirus because they coordinated with Israel. An Etihad Airways flight landed in Israel. It was the second delivery of cargo by the UAE, and the Palestinians turned it down. And this was a big thing. This was widely covered. I got to imagine this was a tremendous insult to the Emirati royal family that went and said and sent material and supplies to the Palestinians in Gaza who said that they were suffering, and it was refused. Which is quite incredible when you think about it. That you wouldn't take humanitarian supplies from where it comes because it comes from your brothers in the UAE because they spoke, they coordinated the flight with Israeli officials where they landed. To be so doctrinaire, to be so fixed, to be so locked in the state of perpetual conflict that you can't get out. You can't get past yourselves. And I got to imagine that Mohammed bin Zayed, the the MBZ, who is the crown prince of Abu Dhabi, which is the leading emirate in the UAE, the insult that he must have had over this, probably said, you know what? We're not going to be held hostage by an intransigent Palestinian authority or by Hamas that refuses to come to the table. And maybe that was... What brought everything together? Clearly, the Trump administration's policies towards Iran have led many of the Arab countries to say that there is a that the United States is willing to confront Iran, that it has confronted Iran, is going to confront Iran, and they imposed the snapback sanctions on Israel on Iran's nuclear program as they said they would. This administration has made good on confronting Iran. And I think you've done effectively. There was also, of course, that attack slash fire on the nuclear facilities. And it's not as if when under the Obama administration, under the nuclear deal, Iran became a good actor. They did not. So. So two thoughts as we wrap up about the convention. And we go for, our, uh, number one, um, talked about conspiracy theories, actually it's be three thoughts, but we talked about conspiracy theories and how they're taking over on the right and the left. It's time. Um, yesterday, the president uh, made an acknowledgement of QAnon. Didn't want to comment on there I know he's afraid to ever alienate the base, but. The fact that there are QAnon followers now running for office or might be elected um, who believe in this vast pedophilia conspiracy. I mean, we don't get in. But as I said last week, there's a lot of open anti-Semitism or anti-Semitic tropes in these conspiracy theories that involve Jews and Jewish bankers. And they're scary. And as Jews and as supporters of the president, people need to Acknowledge that this is going on And it's on the right and the left Number two is The first night Of the Democratic convention You might have thought you were watching Republicans Uh, Susan Molinari A former superstar congresswoman John Kasich Colin Powell The McCain family Well that was the second night But a lot more Republicans Speaking at the Christine Todd Whitman Meg Whitman uh, Republicans speaking at the Democratic convention probably than AOC's uh, which is certainly interesting I think the Biden I mean conventions are managed by the candidate and Biden clearly wants to make an overture towards the middle here let's see if it works on the other hand Biden this is heavy DC establishment do people really care in 2020 that Colin Powell who already endorsed Obama last time around Uh, somehow feels that he's going to, that Republicans should vote for Joe Biden. But we'll see. And the last one was just Michelle Obama, I I have to admit, um, did a very decent job at showing the lack, and I've said this before, that the president of the White House need to show a little bit more empathy for the victims of COVID-19 by ending her remarks with, it is what it is, which was the remark the president said in response to 170,000 deaths in the Axios interview. And um, we can't, Republicans can't run on the idea of this has been acceptable. This is enough. Um, We can admit that the virus overwhelmed us. We can admit that the public health emergency, nobody could have been prepared for this. We have a free society, unlike China, and it's tragic, and every death is tragic, and of course it is. So, as we head into Republican week from Democratic week, obviously big night tonight with uh, Joe Biden's acceptance speech, uh, given the low bar set by the Republicans uh, as far as the fact that he could even make a sentence and Put two sentences together uh, will be remarkable, given uh, we're supposed to believe that Biden is senile and uh, uh, cannot uh, function, uh, and is uh, you know being uh, puppeteered. So that's it for this week here on Spin Class here on the Nochlin Siegel Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs. <music>